Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. <laughs> Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. I'm Kellen Olson, not joined as always by Kevin Zerman, uh, yet another special guest, and what a special guest it is. John Bloom, you, you've been on the program before, I believe, but it has been a while. Suns broadcaster for how many years now, John? What year is this for you? This is year 15, Kellen, wow. and uh, yes, uh, I have been on, I, I'm pretty sure, almost every um form of this podcast you know since we've been doing like uh recorded archived broadcasts discussing sons basketball i've probably been involved in some fashion uh <laughs> you know through arizona sports and through uh you know before that ktar and, and obviously with the phoenix suns as well and i am always willing to talk sons basketball as you well know even through the thinnest of the thin times and certainly right now when it's about as thickest as it's ever been Oh, yeah, we, we've done – I always bring up the radio show that we did. We did some season trade deadline special or something, and that was one of the 19-win years, and you let out an all-time rant across like six or seven minutes straight. You just looked at me and said, I think I'm going to go for a bit. And I was like, John Bloom, you are John Bloom. You you can have that time as needed, and you let it go. But no more no more venting this year, John, and no more venting <laughs> last year. I, I know people might want to hear us vent about officiating today. I don't think either of us are going to do that. We'll get to game four in a bit here, but we got to start with news at the top. Monty Williams named coach of the year. Uh, John, I was sitting in the usual seats that you're familiar with outside of the practice court, waiting in the lobby of the facility, heard a roar. The walls borderline vibrated. And I was like, that that's, is that like fake crowd noise? Cause of just how loud it was. And then like kind of speculation broke out for a couple seconds amongst people. And then Cam Cox from 12 News, like to Monty won coach of the year. And I was like, oh yeah, that's it. hundred percent. That's gotta be it. Cause th- that's how much his, his players care about him, John. And as I wrote uh, on the site that should be up by the time you're listening to this on ArizonaSports.com, Monty cares about them just as much as his players care about him. And, and you've had more personal moments with him and been around him in, in closer contact than I have traveling with the team and such, but just a genuinely great human and all of that comes across with his coaching style. And, and so it's just like a pleasure to get to watch him uh, come down with an award like this that he quite honestly deserved this year. And he, he deserved last year as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I couldn't put it any better, although I will just tack on. I was not uh, at the practice facility like you were and the big group uh, of folks were, including Monty's family. But I did get a chance to hear him talking about it, about how everybody was conspiring behind his back uh, to put that whole thing together. I love that. I love that they took the time to do it. I love how honest he is about the fact that he wouldn't have probably allowed something that to happen, like that to happen or uh, enjoyed it or shared it with everybody uh, when he had his first go around as a coach, but that's kind of the steps he's taken. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, again, all the things that are said about him, they're all right. They're all real. uh, And we've gotten to experience it firsthand. Um, It's, it's, you know, not just a, a testament to, 
Monty Williams this award. Uh, although, as you mentioned, he deserved it last year, didn't get it. Tom Thibodeau did. Uh, he deserved it this year. There were some people who thought maybe he wouldn't get it because they would just say he had such a great team going in. I'm glad those people didn't win out. And I am really glad that our colleagues with votes uh, came around this year and gave it to the deserving coach. Uh, but as he says, you know, there's a lot of people that have a hand in on that. And I think every single one of them has a, a, a huge amount of pride uh, today, knowing that uh, he won that award that he so deserved. It's really just a culmination of what I, I just feel like, even if J, like James Jones knows the type of person Monty Williams is, and I'm sure that really came across for those who didn't know him that well when they were going through the interview process to bring him in three years ago. But it, I cannot emphasize enough how lucky the Suns got with specifically Monty, with specifically the point they were at with their franchise and just how they desperately needed to build a foundation is something that Kevin and I and I have talked about for years now. Resets, building, all that kind of stuff. And for them to get someone like Monty – and for him to kind of implement what he has in the organization right now through these three years, it's going to go on for a lot longer. I think that's the thing that people need to realize about this kind of award, because it feels like it's not even coach of the year. John, it's just more of a, not coach of the decade, but just the effect that it's going to have over the course of a decade with the work that he does as a coach and how he's established himself and just how even simply guys are going to want to come here to play for Monty Williams. Everyone knows the type of players coach that he is and also the brilliant basketball mind that he is as well. And uh, yeah, it's just a culmination of all of that and just well-deserved. He deserved it last year, like I said, but to see him kind of uh, get that moment again, laughing with the guys on inside the NBA, making fun of his younger son uh, and, and all that kind of stuff is just really cool for him to watch. Cause you should get rewarded to kind of get cheesy, John, you should get rewarded for approaching life the way that Monty does, you know, like he could be a hard nosed coach who doesn't want to get tight with his players because one of them might get traded any day or one of them might get cut. He doesn't want his feelings to emphasize with his decisions. I'm not saying that they do for Monty, but the way that he's able to balance both, like he said, he said it's the relationship side and the competition side. And he feels like they go hand in hand and, and he couldn't be more right. In my opinion, I think that's the way we all have to approach things in our life. Yeah, and, and, and I love it because uh, the fact that it is rewarded, the way he goes about his business, uh, will reinforce that that's the way business should be done, uh, hopefully, and more will take the cue. Now, I think a lot of people already are. They certainly look to Monty Williams. A lot of the young coaches in the league look to him as a mentor, and, and he gives his time willingly, it seems, to many of them. And that's another impressive part about him because he is so giving in a lot of respect. But uh, finally, he gets uh, what he deserves this time with an award. And like I said, I think it will just, uh, you know, further a lot of those who are following what he's doing and trying to replicate, uh, you know, the way he handles his business, the way he relates with his players, the way he coaches uh, and the way he teaches and, and the, all the other things he's doing. So uh, great on Monty, great on the organization to be able to celebrate something like this. And then I know everybody's going to be right back to business for game five and locking in uh, because they want to beat the Mavs and, accomplish the ultimate goal but uh, this is certainly a great little pit stop along the way isn't it it certainly is a shout out to the up-and-coming newsbreaker john i don't know if you've heard of him devin booker who broke the news today yeah, on twitter book, book tells sources <laughs> I, I liked book report as a, as a suggestion as well that, yes, that's a really good report. one yeah, I like uh, that one too. yeah. Uh, shout out to book though but uh please don't take our jobs because he can take our jobs we can't take his john uh he can report and analyze basketball we cannot 
hit 18 foot jumpers with two defenders closing out on us. We can't do that. That's uh, fair. So shout yeah. out to shout out to him. Okay. We, uh, we talked about the nice stuff, John. Let's talk about the not so nice stuff. Uh, we're in a two, two series again here for the Phoenix Suns. This one is a one eleven one Oh one loss uh, to the Dallas Mavericks in game four. Like I said, John, you were in Dallas covering both of the games, calling them on the air on 98.7 FM Arizona sports station. And, I don't know where to start, but I know where it'll all end, John, which is just the simple fact that I wrote about today on ArizonaSports.com previewing game five. The Suns just need to be better. For whatever reason, they can't get back to the way that they were playing basketball all regular season, and it's they've got this funk, and it happened in the Pelican series as well. And we know that if we get a B, B-plus Suns effort, that we are going to see them win games. But right now we're getting something uh, far worse than that, and it, I don't know if troubling is the right word, John, because I still feel good about them winning this series. But the thing that I start to worry about now is, is the championship aspirations and expectations that this team has rightfully had set on them. And look, they've got three games, maybe two left here to sort of figure things out because they are not going to be able to figure things out in the next round or the round after that, if they can make it that far. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about most today, John, what has stood out from you after having a day uh, to sit with the game? Well, I am. Uh, I'm going to use something uh, that I used earlier today on the air with uh, with Wolf and Luke, uh, because, you know, somebody once told me uh, if it sounds nice, then it's not bad to say twice. So here we go. Uh, I used to think that uh, the playoffs were like uh, riding a roller coaster, Kellen. That was yeah. kind of like a, an analogy I like to use. But uh, I've, I've completely shifted that. And it happened earlier this morning. I was just thinking about it. I'm like, it's not a roller coaster because there's just so many uh, twists and turns. It's longer than a roller. Roller coasters are over, right? So uh, what I think it is, is the playoffs, when you get to the playoffs, it's like going to the amusement park. And every yeah. game is like its own ride, okay? Every game is like its own ride. Those first two uh, games were rides that I would ride again in a heartbeat. I mean, I would take that. Now, they weren't were like rides that I was thrilled through the whole time. There were some lulls. I was going uphill a little bit. And then I was wondering, is this a, 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 is this really a, a corkscrew that I want to be on? Maybe there were a couple of those, but it was an enjoyable ride. The second two in Dallas, those were ones I would get off feeling nauseous and saying, I am never getting back on that. The teacups at Disneyland. You see the, the pictures. It looks so fun. And then you're on there for 15 seconds. You're like, OK, how long? How much longer is this? Exactly. Oh, no. So you're following me. So now here we are. Uh, I'm not worried. Okay. I'm not nauseous. I'm not concerned about game five at all. In fact, I'm looking at it and I'm saying that looks like a pretty fun ride to take right now. I think that uh, there's a chance Tory Craig's back, it seems like, and that could be helpful potentially, even if it's just to throw another body at Luca. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of things that I think the Suns have in their favor when they're at home. Uh, and and it goes for every team in the playoffs more so than in the regular season. Uh, and so I, I felt like going to Dallas was going to be difficult, but I, I underestimated the Mavericks, to be honest with, with, with you, Kay, because I just felt like even if the Mavs went all out, what they showed me in games one and two wasn't enough for me to believe that if they turned it up a notch, they were going to be able to beat the Suns. And uh, so I will eat the crow that I need to eat with respect to my expectations going into that weekend because I didn't think it would be an O for a trip. 
and that's the first Ofer trip I've been on with this group. I've never gone away from Phoenix to call games and come home without a dub. So uh, an odd feeling, I'll tell you that. Uh, the thing that I think brightened everybody up was little Dre was on the flight, so I got a chance to see him on my way out uh, and, and on my way to my car, and I think that probably kept people smiling because that you've, you, I know you've seen him courtside and on the court in the warm-ups talk about DeAndre Ayton's little boy, and he's absolutely adorable. So you can't not smile, you know, uh, when you when you see him. Uh, but there's other things about this team that just make me believe that they're going to show the resiliency that they've shown, not just this season, but last season, and even to a certain extent uh, in the bubble and before that, uh, since Monty Williams got here. So that's why I believe it's going to happen. Uh, I think we'll feel a lot different after game five than we do right now. First of all, shout out Baby Dre. Uh, there are small children you come across, John, when they just have an exuberant amount of energy to them. You can just see it. And that is a child. I only see that child from far away when he's courtside watching uh, his dad warm up and he'll run on the floor sometimes, but has the same energy as dad. You can already tell. I uh, love yep. that kid. So <laughs> what you said about Dallas, you could not be more right. I was getting done with uh, Game Two's podcast with Brennan Clean, and I'm going through like the uploading process and all that. And I and I named it Commanding 2-0 Series Lead, and usually the commanding lead is a 3-0 lead. But I was yeah. like, no, this has just been a shellacking in two games. Like this is a commanding lead. I feel fine with saying that. And we went on and just about how Dallas stood little to no chance and. That is an important part to bring up because they are the the credit or the blame, however you want to phrase it for both sides. The credit first is first, and that's for Dallas. With the way that they've adjusted as a team, with the way guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, Reggie Bullock, and so on, have really started to contribute in a way where they look like a team that can beat the Suns in a seven-game series, which is no tall task at all because they did not look like that a week ago. They did not look like that six months ago, three months ago, six weeks ago, whatever you want to say. But now they look the part. And the part of it to me that is so surprising as part of what I just mentioned is that Dallas's supporting cast has really, really stepped up in this series. And that is where we start to really look around at everyone on the Suns, not named Chris or Devin, and just wondering where they can really truly make an impact on this series going forward and where they need to. And, and Chris obviously is, is in that blame for sure. He has played two really bad games. I think if you look back at um, a game or two in the finals, maybe you can say he played worse, but it, two of his worst playoff games is a member of the Suns without a doubt in these last two games. But game four, specifically, he deals with the foul trouble. A couple of those calls were bogus. You just got to deal with it. And, and I think, John, if we want to hit on like just the officiating and just how the Suns can deal with this, it's, it's been two straight games now where it's clearly in their heads. The Scott Foster bomb is looming. We thought it might come in game four. And what I mean by we might thought it might be looming. I am not lumping myself together with the people that dread Scott Foster. I don't want to talk about Scott Foster. I hate that we're bringing up Scott Foster at all. I hate that we're bringing up the officiating at all because I just don't think it's interesting and it's worthless to discuss, but it's affecting the team. So we should discuss it for a brief second. I actually think it would benefit the Suns to have Scott Foster officiate tomorrow's game. I know people are going to storm my house tonight. with me saying that but I say that John because he has this mental block clearly over Chris Paul and and the Chris Paul teams and and that is I think that is fair to say with the record and all that kind of stuff and and there's extra stuff there between Chris Paul and Scott Foster I think that's a better way of phrasing it than calling it a mental block but whatever you want to say there's just a way in which the Suns they have to play an extra level of basketball to not put themselves in positions to get called for fouls like 
Chris just cannot have his hand in there for the sixth foul call, which was bogus. He cannot try and bait Jalen Brunson into the fifth call, which was bogus. But you just can't put yourself in those positions. And he knows whenever a Scott Foster game is being officiated that he is going to ref the game in that certain kind of way. And that's what's kind of led to all this all this hoopla about it. But I think this is something that they need to overcome, John, before it starts to become a problem. Because I thought at points in last night's game, it kind of did. And we've seen it every now and then over the course of the season. But it's not something difficult to overcome, John, right? It's just down to the mindset. Yeah, I think you put it really, really well, Colin, because I think it, it's more about the Suns, like not focusing on it and removing it from being as much of a factor as it has been, uh, you know, with regards to these games, because if they just go out and play their game, and I know that's easy for us to say, <laughs> sitting here with, with uh, you know, podcasting equipment and whatnot and not, not a basket around us. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about if they do what, what they know they can do, what they did in games one and two, for crying out loud. If they just go do that, they know they'll be successful. Okay, they know in their heart of hearts, they'll have all the confidence in the world. Now, has their confidence taken a hit based on what transpired in Big D? Without a doubt, it has. I know the Suns fans feel it. I know as broadcasters, we feel it too. But I also know deep down that this team understands what they're capable of. And when they get in front of their home crowd, regardless of who's wearing the referee outfits and who has the whistles, that they should go out and get the job done. Does that mean they should just expect it to happen? Absolutely not, because they just got punched. So they need to punch back. And and that's a, that's a curious part of this conversation with regards to officiating. And since we're on a podcast, I might as well stretch out a little bit, right, Kellen? I mean, I might as well tell a little Absolutely. bit of the story here of why I, you know, broadcast the way I broadcast with regards to referees. Um, you know, because as a little kid, I was a I was an athlete. I would play. I wasn't an athlete. That that's a stretch. But I played all the sports. And then, uh, you know, as as kind of a side gig. I took some, you know, officiating jobs. So it first was umping Little League Baseball when I was in high school. That was the first thing I ever did. And that was tough because the parents were really tricky to deal with, right? Uh, <laughs> you, had to, you had to figure that out pretty quick. You had to tell the line about who's going to be the, the vociferous ones on the sidelines here. Who am I going to deal with and have to tamper down during this game? And not even worried about calling balls or strikes or safer out. Then I got to college and I officiated um, fraternity intramural basketball at Syracuse. Okay, wow. um, and so this got pretty heated too, and it's hoops. And I and I was very comfortable being a ref in hoops at that point, just because I played more hoops than I played pretty much any sport. And so uh, I I learned what the treatment was like on that side of the whistle, as opposed to being the one pissed at the guy calling a foul at me, right on me. So that gave me a different perspective. So now I'm broadcasting. And I, that started back then, broadcasting at Syracuse and then at Detroit and then now 18-plus years here in Phoenix. So uh, it, it has turned me into somebody that maybe has a little bit of uh, empathy combined with sympathy, combined with understanding. Doesn't mean I don't get frustrated as hell when they're blowing calls <laughs> left. <laughs> they definitely were having a hard time. Now, it was another, tough. It was tough. Yeah, another thing I'm worried about is just like, 
how the league is going about this with who they're assigning to the playoffs and, and who's deserving of, of refereeing playoff action in the NBA, because some of the guys that are doing it, frankly, I wouldn't put in the top half if you asked me and I've called, you know, all the road games this year and I've seen all the been courtside for all the home games. And I know they have a hard job. That's what I'm trying to say in, in, in the end behind all of this. I understand how difficult that job is. And I truly believe that the NBA is, doing it uh, 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 or at least efforting to put the best people out there in that position, but I think they can do better. So that's something that needs to be done. They need to be able to establish a better system that figures out who the best are at their jobs that puts them in the right spots to do the playoff games. Cause I feel like that that's maybe uh, a deficiency right now with the league. Um, but with regards to those two games, I'm not putting it on the refs calls. I agree with you. I think the Suns need to find a better way to shut them out. Uh, and I think at home they'll have a better chance of doing that. Um, and, and that's just the way it goes. Is it fair that that's the way it goes? No. Are referees human beings and subject to potentially what their uh, the impact is on a game? Absolutely they are. And they're going to make human error because they're humans. And so you have to expect errors. You do. Um, yeah, I you, you said it really well there, and I think the thing that I didn't say and you didn't say is that they were absolutely not the reason that the Suns lost game four, which was the one where a lot of people really got up in arms about the officiating to the point where it was perhaps the most talked about thing from the game, which tends to happen from time to time, but we're at such a breaking point in the series. It was worth bringing up for a couple of minutes. So those of you that are always replying to me and saying, why didn't you talk about the, why didn't you talk about the officiating? Why didn't you talk? Okay, there we did. We did for four minutes. That's all you get. Enough. We are going to talk about basketball now. <laughs> If you yeah, don't unfortunately, mind. we don't have a solution, right? I mean, that's the worst thing is I can we're, tell you. You're talking, we're running into a wall, John. It's just, you, you like, you, this is me, okay? When I see people on Twitter replying to me about Scott Foster, replying to me about Zach Zarba or whoever, whoever the referee is, it's like I'm walking down the street. I look to my left and I see someone backing up five feet, sprinting straight into a brick wall, falling over, getting up backing up five feet and sprinting. You're just running into that wall over and over again. That's all you're doing because there is no solution in place right now beyond what you were talking about. It is not going to get better. Maybe it's going to get worse. People feel like it's, it has gotten worse. I don't really know. But the bottom line is you are going to have terribly officiated games. Sometimes they're not going to go in your team's favor. And to act like all of us have a good idea of how all 30 teams are officiated and if one team is more fairly officiated than the other is bogus. Can we see that Giannis gets some calls that other guys don't? Sure. Can we see LeBron does? Sure. Can we see that Devin Booker does or doesn't? Sure. But beyond that, we have no idea and I hate it. And I'm glad we're done talking about it, John. To your point on optimism about the next two to three games, I think when you look at the problems that have plagued the Suns, that's where you can find some of the optimism. And what I mean by that is, John, three straight games with 17 turnovers? This team? The Chris no. Paul-led team? It's just, it's just completely uncharacteristic and nuts. And then when you look at the way that they were defending, just the lack of just being a step in the right, right or wrong direction, it was wrong a lot of the time. And this is just such a well-tuned, fine orchestra, all that kind of stuff, all those shenanigans. They are a great defensive team with team defense and their team defense principles were just a mess in this game. And for them to just show both of those things and have those two be really two of the defining qualities in this game, I think that lends to optimism. What do you think John is going to be 
more likely to be corrected in game five, would you say the turnovers or, or just the defensive, the team defense? Because I think we could see both for sure, but which one are you more optimistic about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that you threw that out there because I do think we will see both. I think both will be improved, but the one that we'll that I expect to be improved uh, more or at least more noticeably will be the defense because I think that at the same time, I don't believe in the Dallas role players enough to think that, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith's going to come knock down eight out of 12 again from deep and that uh, everybody else like Bertans and Kleba and everybody is going to chime in with threes. I just don't see them doing that in, uh, you know, the Suns gym like they were able to do at home. Uh, it's not just to say that, oh, well, yeah, they're so much better at home. That's the whole role player better at home thing. I'm just saying in general, uh, I don't see them replicating that performance, even if we had game five back in Dallas. Uh, and at the same rate, the reason I feel so confident in the Phoenix Suns is they haven't been too high or too low at all. They've just kind of been the steady Suns. Now, yes, were they deficient as far as defense uh, at defending the three-point line and also taking care of the basketball? Yes, they were. But I think what happens with hoops, when I've at least been watching – for the majority of my 40 something years uh, is that uh, you see teams being more desperate who get to this point in the season, you're in the semifinals of the conference, right? So you're at this point, one of the last four teams standing in your conference, you're probably pretty capable of winning basketball games. Now you add confidence to that. You add being at home to that. And you add maybe feeling like you're getting the benefit of the three guys calling it as well. You can do some things that are different than necessarily you take a couple of those elements out uh, and you then also add that element of desperation to a team that hasn't had it. And it's not something that we need to like pick the sons apart for. They shouldn't have to have desperation when they're mm -hmm. not desperate. It's hard to manufacture desperation. That's something that comes when it's real, when it's needed. And Dallas had it in game three and it was clear. And they shut the Suns down. And a lot of the reason for that was they came out and the hunger and the desire and the want and the desperation combined with the home crowd and all those elements combined together. Well, now you're back in Phoenix, okay? It's a whole different deal. You might as well be starting a best of three series right now. And this is game one, not game five. So that's why I feel like it's a different Suns team that will roll out for tomorrow night's game. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, tonight's game. But you know what I'm talking about? And Kellen, I think you might feel me on this, that it's, you know, that's a big element when it comes to best of seven playoff series is who's the more desperate team. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you were talking about there and sort of a, a cliche that we hear people say in different ways all the time is that you don't want to give a team like a reason to believe or just a, give them momentum. And that was what I kind of discussed after game three was perhaps the most dangerous thing there is that they really let the Mavericks believe that they could beat the Suns and also just gave the Mavericks some momentum in, in this series that they had no right to really have in the first place with how those two games went. And what happens from there, who knows? And, and that's the dangerous place in the game we're at right now. Uh, I, I do not share your optimism, un unfortunately. John, I'm at the point now with this team where the benefit of the doubt to them that they will come back to be the team that they were in the regular season I still believe that they can be that team without a doubt that there is no doubt there. It's, it's not there, but I'm now at the point now where I'm shrugging my shoulders and saying, we'll see. Cause I, I don't know. I don't know what is up with them in the last three weeks that has led to them 
kind of having these types of series and uneven series against teams that I think they are far, far better than. But but we'll kind of see. We'll see how it goes over the next two to three games. And I just don't really know what direction it'll go. And, and I'm kind of just shrugging my shoulders at this point, just like I did in the Pelican series. John, let's highlight a player each before we go, because I think there are several different guys on the roster you could point at and say, this is a guy that needs to improve from game four to game five the most. Uh, let's say Chris Ball of the equation. I think everyone's heard Chris Ball talked about enough in various different ways. We kind of hit on him a, a bit already. We'll talk about it again after game five, uh, if that becomes the case. But who is who is someone sort of outside of the Chris Paul Devin Booker camp that you're looking at stepping up? Because outside of those two guys and Jay Crowder, uh, there are a lot of nominees to look at. Well, I just want to shout out CP3 real quick, though, because uh, first of all, it was his birthday. Uh, and second of all, he had his whole family in Dallas and he was going to treat him to dinner. Uh, and this was, let's see, I think Saturday night was our off night, right? So, uh, yeah. I was sitting outside on a FaceTime with my wife who happens to be overseas right now in London. And so uh, CP was just walking up by himself. He was a great sport. I turned to FaceTime and said, Hey, hey Jill, say hi to Chris. <laughs> and so my wife said, <laughs> saying hi to? And, uh, and Chris is a great sport. He said hi to her and talked to her for a second before he went in with his family. So I wanted to thank him again for being a great sport since I know he's maybe taking some, some stuff right now for his performance and fouling out and all that stuff, but still a great dude. Uh, and I got to experience that firsthand. So thought I'd share that with the listeners, but as far as, uh, you know, the next person for me that, that needs to bring it, um, it might not even be on him because he's not a guy that gets the ball or has the ball in his hands without someone else feeding him for the most part or going and hitting the window. But it's DeAndre. I mean, I, I just feel like he's got it in him, Kellen. And I think uh, you might agree on this, but uh, that takes a, a team effort to make sure they establish him. And they did that in games one and two. And that was a big reason why they won. So I think that's going to be key for game five. I agree 100%. I think that they really need they really need him to get going and in a way where it's just as much on them as it is on him. I know that his individual performance and the way that he's kind of been floating around the game a little bit in these last two hasn't been encouraging, but I also think that there are ways in which he can be incorporated that we're talked about around this fan base for three years now, but with what we saw in New Orleans, John, who's that emerging in the distance? It's dominating the guy we've heard about. There he is. That was him. <laughs> And we yep. saw him last postseason too. And I thought that he was just about to be like this legitimate third offensive option. And the Suns offense was about to be unstoppable. We haven't quite seen that just yet. We could later in the postseason. I agree with him being a shout. John, the shout for me though, is if you told me the Dallas Mavericks were running their defensive scheme around the Suns, giving the ball to Mikel Bridges on the, on the backside and making him make the decisions from there, I would have said, okay, Mikel's going to average, what, 22 a game, and the Suns are going to win in four or five. That hasn't yeah. quite happened. Um, I think that Dallas is playing really well defensively, and it's not just running by a closeout and dunking by any means. Mikel has to make a couple of decisions after that, and I thought he was really, really good in the first two games as a playmaker. And then in this third and fourth game, John, it's just those eight-foot floaters, that 12-foot fadeaway leaner that he loves. They're just not going down for him right now for whatever reason, but we know what it is with him, and it's just sticking with it because he has been an incredibly efficient player over his career so far, especially in the last two seasons. And I think that if Dallas continues to run this type of strategy where he's getting the ball in there and making decisions as a scorer and a playmaker, he's going to have a huge offensive game here in one of these next two or three. And I think we're going to see that pretty soon from him. 
And then just an honorary shout out to campaign or, or whoever takes his minutes going forward. Cause I think we're at the point now he's shooting 30% in the playoffs, 15% from three. He's someone we have to bring up again because we've talked about it a couple of times. Kevin and I have how it might've been time for him to go in the rotation. And I think we're still there. And I, but I completely get why Monty is playing him because they need his style of play. And he it was the guy, John, who I've said, like they don't make the finals last year without him. And they don't, I don't think they can make the finals this year if they don't get some return to form from him or someone else in his spot. And, and we'll see if he can bring it up, but I'm just not so sure on him, John. I'm not sure. No, but I'm glad you bring him up because uh, I think it's worthy of discussion. And I do think he's going to be key at some point. He's going to come up big for this team. Uh, I still feel like the confidence is there with him. Uh, and he just needs to come out and get it done and have one of his campaign-like games. That doesn't mean you're you're looking at it uh, a huge stat line. We know what kind of effect he can have on the game, even without filling it up or you know without piling up big numbers. So that's a, a healthy expectation from me too, Kellen. Is that he's going to make a difference? And yeah, look, Mikel Bridges uh, is uh, a guy who's not always a difference maker for this basketball team. The Iron Man, the guy that does everything, but. Uh, from an from an offensive standpoint, you, you nailed it. I, I give credit to the Mavs. I think they've done an excellent job because Mikel was a, a bigger impact uh, in that round one series against New Orleans. And uh, the Mavs have had some good defensive wings this series. Those guys have impressed me. I knew Dorian Finney-Smith had it in him, but I think Reggie Bullock's uh, played better than I expected him to play on both sides. Uh, and I think some of those guys have given the Suns uh, more troubles than they expected as well. But like we've talked about all along, I think they can change all of that. And and the guys we all we both just discussed, Aiton Bridges campaign, all of them uh, can kind of turn things in the right direction with uh, one really good game. Yeah, to speak on how uncharacteristic that is for Mikel before we go, you have to go back to uh, really 2021, uh, the end, the first half of this season when Mikel was still getting his shot going, where you have to find two games in a row where he shot under 40% three of nine last game and then five of 14 for 36% in game three. It's just super unlike him to not be efficient when he's getting shots. And I expect that to definitely change. And he's, he's a key guy for me to watch. John, thank you so much for hopping on plug away. We got the Twitter at John Bloom. We got the broadcast. Anything else the people need to know? Well, uh, you know, for those who haven't heard, uh, you know, the, the post game show is, is my uh, gig at home games. uh, And, I am always excited to talk to new callers. So if you haven't called in before, don't be shy because uh, we've got, you know, hopefully a a handful of home games still coming up in these playoffs. And I'm looking forward to talking to as many Suns fans as possible. Uh, So when you listen to the game or you watch the game, whether you're at the game uh, and and after the game is wrapped up and Alan, Tim and I finish up the network stuff, uh, give us a call and let's talk some Suns hoops together. Let's enjoy this ride. As I've always said, I will also let everybody know out there, this is the first postseason I've ever called in my career. And it is a true thrill. And I am not taking it for granted. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that everybody's given me uh, to, to be one of the voices of this uh, basketball team and uh, how welcoming the team and the Valley has been to me and my family. So thanks to everybody for listening to our broadcasts and, uh, and to this podcast and to Kellen and all the hard work he and KZ Kevin Zimmerman do. I have so much respect for you guys too. And, uh, and keep up the good work, my man. Boomer. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. A young, a young Kellen would drive back home from coyotes games and call, call the heater. He would, he would call him and just share his thoughts on how Keith Kachuk and Jeremy Roenick 
were looking out there. Like I always loved calling the, <laughs> calling those shows as a kid. And like, we're in this Twitter age where people can share their opinion. You forget the phone lines are over there. 98.7 FM for the post game yes, shows. And you can vent out there or you can be positive. You know, John, you don't need to vent when you come on. You can be positive as well. Just to Absolutely. kind of go back to tie it to the front. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back after game five. I'll be live from Dallas trying to figure out what time zone I'm in. And uh, we'll be back then and talk to you then. See ya.